Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey there, friends. David Lightbringer here. And you know what? Yesterday, me and my friend, Great Waste Tim, did something truly epic. That's right. It's perhaps my favorite live stream that I've done in a long time. This was actually going to be the next scripted video in the Secret Prehistory of the Ironborn series. But what I did instead is turned it from an essay script back into a bullet point outline. And then I had Tim on so that we could uh, go over the material in a discussion format instead of just me talking it at you, the, the viewer. And uh, I thought that would serve the material better. And sure enough, it did. Uh, it turned out great. I gave my notes to Tim early. He added a bunch of notes. I integrated them together. And we did an awesome presentation that was way better than it would have been if I had done it by myself. Two small problems. One, we had a lot of fun. It took us four hours and 20 minutes, actually, on the dot, uh, to work through the outline. Um, we added extra stuff and had a lot of fun you know not really a problem you guys weren't content we've got content so yeah four hour live stream uh and and not random this is all going through an outline so very organized hard-hitting four four hours and 20 minutes uh the other issue was that it got demonetized by youtube somewhere in there we must have said something i'm not sure what it was I'm sure it was my fault you know but uh it did get demonetized so what i figured i'd do is pull it down Chop it into four parts because, again, it is all on an outline, so there's four neat sections that it divides into. And uh, it's Ironborn Week. It's kind of like Shark Week, but it's Ironborn. Euron has a shark tooth crown, which we, we did talk about somewhere in there. So this is what I've got for you. I've got four Ironborn videos. They're all going to come out this week. And this apologies if you were looking for the live stream and it wasn't there, but that's what happened. So this first video will be about the great empire of the Dawn connections to the Iron Islands, which is a pretty cool topic, I think. And Tim brought some brand new stuff uh, that I had never heard before. So get ready for some Yeetish history and some great empire of the Dawn history. It's going to be fun. Then the second video will be about the Ironborn custom of Rock Kings and Salt Kings, and how that's actually a remnant of the first unified Ironborn Empire of the Grey King, who probably comes from the Great Empire of the Dawn. Then the third video will concern the Driftwood King tradition and history, and Tim and I there will sort out the entire actual timeline, the secret prehistory, like this is the timeline, her the Timline heresies of the Ironborn. So that's the third video. And then the fourth video will attempt to, well, it will successfully peel apart the two layers of Ironborn ancestor culture, the ancient mariners from across the sea and the local first men. We will isolate the various Ironborn houses, which are descendants of those two cultures. And we're generally just gonna make all of it make a ton of sense in a way that will definitely make your brain do the emoji, the brain blowing up emoji thing. So. Thanks very much for clicking on the video. I did also edit these down a little bit to make them move faster. Took out a couple random things. And I added just a couple of images and maps, not as much as usual, uh, you know, because we've got the outline up on the screen and I feel like that helps people follow along with the information. But I did add some images and edited a bit. So cheers, it's Ironborn week, enjoy. And I'll, like I said, I'll see you all week with new videos. At least new for those of you who didn't catch the stream. And for those of you who did catch the stream, you caught a couple things that got edited out, so congratulations, and thank you very much for supporting the live streams on Sunday, which I very much appreciate. And also, everyone, make sure you're subscribed, almost to 100K. Help me get over 100K, get the friggin' plaque on the wall, tell your friends, and uh, yeah, enjoy the video. Enjoy the, all the week of videos. We've been talking about the Ironborn culture as a result of the combination of ancient mariners from across the sea and first men that are native to Westeros, or as native as humans can be to Westeros. The children of the forest are more native, but whatever. A combination of first men and mariners. Now, it's one thing to say that the Ironborn, Tim, are the product, appear to be the product of this cultural merger. 
But it is another thing to be able to go into Ironborn culture and actually peel apart those layers and say, here are the elements that come from the First Men. Here are the elements that come from the Mariners. And we can actually kind of get to know the First Men who were living in this area before the Mariners came. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And like I said, I've found some stuff here. It really started with the stream that Tim and I did on the Ironborn Heraldry where we got into some of the various specific houses and we started noticing some patterns. Basically, the key is here, well, we're talking about world-building civilizations, and that's kind of the topic today. Like, this is world-building exposition. The Ironborn are essentially the most detailed world-built civilization, I think, that is in Ice and Fire. And the key here is that civilizations, Tim, rarely develop in isolation. The closest thing that you might think to that would be the ab Aboriginal Australians, who are more quickly referred to as First People Australians. They more or less had Australia to themselves, even if they didn't call themselves a kingdom. Nobody else came to Australia for a very long time. So their culture almost developed in isolation, except for that on the way there, they tripped over some Denisovans or other archaic hominids we're now finding. Uh, just like, you know, most non-African peoples have uh, Neanderthal DNA in there heritage. Uh, they found there's a different archaic hominid that contributed a little bit to the heritage of uh, First People Australians. So even, even they did not develop in isolation. But of course, usually it's much more convoluted. In most parts of the world that aren't isolated, like a big island, there's many, many layers of civilization. And so when you're creating a fantasy civilization, a pretend civilization, you have to simulate those layers or it's not going to feel real. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, because we when I brought the idea up to you, I even said in my message to I'm like, what? This is how you get different people groups. Like, what are Russians besides Norsemen who came over and had sex with steppe people, and then the product of that, and then you get an intermingling of culture, and that's how you get a new people group. Uh, like, and it's the same all over. Different people come co-mingle in different places they bring their own cultural ideas their own belief systems all that then you kind of get an intermeshing of that and that's what ends up creating a brand new culture and that is why the ironborn seem like when they say that the ironborn are first men but then the ironborn themselves reject that yet they have many similarities to first men but then they also have a whole lot of similarities to the east then these ancient mariners then the idea becomes well maybe it's both because if ancient mariners come come over but there's already first men on these islands and if we're going with the idea that these islands were originally part of the greenlands but that the iron islands are break off like the way the stepstones are the remnants of a shattered arm so to speak then it would make sense that ancient mariners come to these islands, find na an already native population there, and then they intermingle, intermarry, and then the product of that creates its own culture. And it, it'll it take different ideas of first men culture, splice it with uh, with culture from that, from wherever these ancient mariners came, which is probably the Far East. And that's how we get this whole ironborn thing, which has a lot of, viking stuff to it but also can seem like a lot of it's coming coming straight out of lang which again which is something that which is a way of saying straight out of lovecraft because george took lang from lovecraft and they made it his own thing so this is it this is just what we're gonna get into uh tim i was focusing more on the westeros side of things going okay this is that layer this is that layer and especially i've got like i've got a, a whole bit about the first men culture in this area. And then Tim came at me with, of course, the dispatch from the Grey Waste. He's got E.T. and all this other Great Empire of the Dawn correlation. So we got some, we're definitely going to do some Ironborn Great Empire of the Dawn today. And uh, so let's scroll down here. This is one of the reasons why we need the Great Empire of the Dawn in Westeros, the ancient mariners. It would be a little unrealistic if the First Men had this whole continent to themselves that isn't isolated in the way that Australia is, um, and no one else ever came there. It is a little bit isolated because once the Arm of Dorne is broken, but as we can see, sailing over across the narrow sea is easy. People do it all the time. It's pretty casual, you know. So Westeros shouldn't be totally isolated. And so we have 
you know, the Hightowers and the Danes and the Ironborn and Land the Clever and a few other little things that sound like little exceptions, right? Little pockets of something different. And then we've also got, and I'm just going to jump ahead a little bit. There's also like a bunch of regional cultures in Westeros that may or may not be first men or something different or just you know, first men branching off and having different cultures. But as we know, there are weird humanoids like the Cranog men who interbred with children and maybe squishers. Mm -hmm. We've got the Umbers who could have the blood of giants in their veins. We've got the Reach has the Garth the Green Green Man culture. The Riverlanders have their own culture with the Fisher Kings and Tully and Mud at House Mud. Cracklaw Point, I mean, that's, that's culture, Tim, right there. Um, Mm -hmm. And then even in the north, which is different from the rest, like the Barrowlands have their own culture that's a little different. That's very specific practice to that region. The Starks have their wolf warg culture. The Boltons have their own skin magic culture. And then Bear Island has kind of their own thing. In the Vale of Arryn, the Royces have runic armor and they've got the legend of the Winged Knight. There's houses that have moved around and we've you can see their culture changes they do that like the blackwoods potentially come from the north to the riverlands and so they are they almost seem like a northern house in the riverlands and then of course the manderlees who started out in the reach but then moved to white harbor and they're this weird mishmash of like faith of the seven religion old god's religion Ryman manderley calls himself a knight of the green hand and then they've got like mermaid statues so you can see that george is thinking about these cultural layers and the idea that in Westeros, it's a big continent and there are different little cultural pockets around. Mm -hmm. And so what we're kind of talking about today are, you know, the first men that were in the Iron Islands region before the Mariners came and then how that evolved. So, Tim, uh, you grabbed a couple of quotes from the World of Ice and Fire here. And would you would you read those for us? Sure. So the very first line in in the Ironborn section of the World of Ice and Fire is were the first men truly first? So it's like at the very beginning, George is already giving us the setup where even the maesters are questioning this. And we've talked many a times like that the idea of the first men is so vague. Like Andals, Roinar, we can trace them back to an origin point. Andals from Andalos and the Axe, Roinar from the River Roin and the area around it. But the first men... It's so vague. And even the maesters say, well, they probably originated in what is now the, Do the the grasslands that now make up the Dothraki Sea. But if you look at the Dothraki Sea, that's like everything between Kohor and Karth. Like that's a, the Dothraki Sea is a huge area. So that's why when we get into the idea of first men, like it's, it's really uh, reductive to reduce the first men. If they're coming from an area that huge, to try and think that they all have the same culture. And I think that's why when we get to Westeros, even though uh, a lot of clouses are claiming first man descent, there's still a lot of different cultural, uh, different, different cultural aspects to them because you have people in the Riverlands, people in the North houses in the Vale that can still trace back to the first men, yet they still also have their own distinct thing going on. Like house Aaron, well, house Aaron's an Andal, but like, House Royce is first men, but they're not exactly like the Starks or the Boltons or the Umbers who also claim first man ancestry. There's there's different there's difference, and that comes from living in different areas. But it also could mean that they probably also originated in a different area. And the first men coming over more than likely means it came they came over in waves. Like it's not just one massive group of the same that and that's how. That's how the Americas were populated, like the original indigenous tribes that crossed over the land bridge, but then they they co they they go their own way, and then that's why we have different different tribes of natives and indigenous people with their own languages. It's the same concept here. Yeah, and I had that in the notes. Um, there's multiple waves of of Arctic hunter gatherers that peopled the Americas. Mm -hmm. Some of them came across the land bridge. We're finding out now that before that, a couple thousand years. The first people that came across were following the coastline all the way down to Oregon, where they found the first unfrozen river mouth. And then we find the first settlements in the Americas 
right along that river. It's in Washington, Oregon. I, I wish I remember the name of the river. I'm so sorry that I do not, but it's off topic anyway. So the first men, yeah. it, it probably wasn't like, you know, this, the biblical story of Moses leading a whole people all at once into a herd, crossing the land bridge, all have the same religion, following one dude, Garth the Green. Like that's the mythical telling of this. We should think about exactly waves of migration. Oh, I remember what I was gonna say. We have to talk about this strange obsession of the maesters about uh, dressing the ironborn up in silks. It sounds very erotic, but go ahead. So, uh, set apart from Westeros proper by the gray green waters of the sea, the islands remain a realm onto themselves. The sea is always moving, always changing, the ironborn like to say, and yet it remains eternal, boundless, never the same and always the same. So it is with the ironborn themselves, the people of the sea, uh, and then these are both, these are all quotes from Archmaester Herrig. And then you may dress an iron man in silks and velvets, teach him to read and write and give him books, instruct him in chivalry and courtesy and the mysteries of the faith. But when you look into his eyes, the sea will still be there, cold and gray and cruel. You, you see what I mean? It's very, it's very intimate. There's staring deep into the eyes of the ironborn and dressing them in silks. It sounds like a date. I don't know, I'm just saying. Um, but <laughs> Archmaester Herreg, of course, Tim, is an ironborn who became a maester. So he really is a fascinating source of information. Uh, one of the best resources. And of course, he's the one who did Strange Stone. And that was Theron. Yeah, you guys, people talk about like, What's the um, pretend book in the A Song of Ice and Fire universe that we'd most like to read? Fire and Blood, you know, The Death of Dragons or whatever. Give me Strange Stone, right, Tim? <laughs> that and the Jade Compendium. Those are the well, ones Jade that I want Well, Jade Compendium, <laughs> yes, yes. Strange Stone, though. And they talk about the drawing, the disturbing drawings. I'm like, what, what are we talking about here? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think we've made our point. Now let's summarize all the previous Ironborn works by Dave and Tim. No, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's a joke. Let me go ahead and collapse the outline. Just a couple of pieces of information that we need to review that we're talking about. Like we said, two cultures here, setting aside the squisher contact stuff, which we'll mention as an aside, but that's not, we're not doing squishers today, mostly. We're working with these ancient mariners from across the sea in the first men. The Grey King mythology seems to refer to this era, this time when the mariners were new and the islands were experiencing mega disasters, right? Because the Grey King mythology has a lot of disasters. Let's not get into what kind, but probably long night related. There's floods and there's sea dragons and, you know, all that stuff. That seems to be the Grey King era. And we know this is very remote, Tim, because the history, the official history of the Ironborn begins with the Driftwood King era with these separate kings, each island having its own salt and rock king. And then we eventually hear about this Galen Whitestaff and the King's Moot and all that stuff. So whatever the Grey King era was, this time when the Mariners first got there and merged with the First Men, it's lost to history. It's prehistory. It's only things that we can find little clues about. Now the Maesters are kind of pointing at it. They're going, there might've been other people we don't know. We don't know where the chair came from. We don't know who built Pike. So it's not like you have to squint at it. I mean, the maesters are, are pointing us at the mystery. However, we don't have a historical record of the Grey King era. It is prehistory. And that's why this video series is called Secret Prehistory of the Ironborn. So it's very, very apt and catchy title, if I, if I do say so myself. But point is, that's what we're dealing with here. That's the Grey King era. And... The other idea that we'll be working with today is that the Iron Islands used to be connected to Westeros in whole or in part. I'm, I've come about to be a believer in this. Tim, you're also a believer in this idea. I've got the bullet points for this, so we don't need to go off on this now. But hopefully you're already familiar with the idea that the Iron Islands may have been joined to Westeros. And we're going to provide a lot of evidence for that today. So there's two groups that we're going to talk about. The First Men and the Mariners. The first men that became ironborn, we know that first men became ironborn. And how do we know that? A few reasons. Uh, why don't you go through these here, Tim? 
thraldom, long extinct first man practice, survived and thrived on the islands, wildlings and clans too. Yeah, there's a the the Harla, the Greyjoy, just like out of the north we have the Stark, the Wall, the like the yeah the Great John. The, some Northmen referred to the Ned and also the, the Mance. So you can see mm-hmm. in real time how names turn into titles. And people have asked, well, is the Grey King a title? Obviously, it could be. Azor High could be a title. We've talked about that many times, too. Yeah, the Mance. The Mance, I think, is my favorite, just because I love Mance. Like, he deserves that. Yeah, so the, the point is the Ironborn do this everywhere. The Harlaw, the Greyjoy, um, the Merlin was my favorite. So that's a first man naming tradition that they've carried over, just as they've carried over thraldom. Now, I've written that the Ironborn, Tim, they don't look noticeably different from first men. You, you did make a note that they do seem maybe a little bit taller, and they are mm-hmm. very strong and robust. So maybe that's just a little natural selection of the tough lifestyle of the Iron Islands. But there could be something with the height. I will grant you that. My point was just that the Danes look distinctive they obviously have intermarried with the dornish as well and so they're not they don't look pure valerian they have darker looks in there but one thing that i've never pointed out that i wanted to talk about was the fact that you know there's something called the stony dornish make make your jokes if you want but the stony dornish are the dornish who live in the mountains where the danes live and all the stony dornish not only are they light skin or paler skin, they also are known for fair hair and blue eyes, just as the Danes have a lot of fair to silver hair and blue and purple eyes. And so the thing is, the first men aren't known for being fair haired. They are mostly known for being darker haired. So the Stony Dornish Tim, I believe is actually a clue that it wasn't just the Danes. Like it wouldn't have been, right? It would have been whole group of people just as we're saying on the iron islands and that's probably why the stony dornish are fair-haired that is probably very watered down great empire of the dawn bloodlines there all through those mountains i never really realized that but there's no other explanation for that kind of yeah like the thing i pointed out with the ironborn is yes like they are very they're very tall very stocky very broad of build and but it's it's George like playing with the idea of are they first men are they something else and why it works for both and that's why the answer to me the most logical answer me, to me seems to be that well it's probably a mingling of both like for example in the north if we think of like a north a northern house being very very tall poss- you could attribute that to first men interbreeding with giants which seems to be a thing and that's why we get like lines like oh he's got giants blood in him that's what uh osha says about hodor now with the iron islands that doesn't really work there are no giants in the iron islands however if we look at the ancient mariner side of thing there are very tall mariner people and that's lang lang is noted for having some of the tallest people in the world they get over common for them to be over seven feet some eight feet tall so the idea is well, where did this tallness come from well if it's not coming from the first men side if giants if if it's not giants plus first men like we could explain in the north but we can't explain in the iron islands well then the ancient mariner side lang that does that does at least provide an answer and when we talk about great king coming over like in the next one of the bullet points, Great King taught Ironborn to do maritime stuff. Who's he teaching? Well, yeah, he's teaching people to build boats. He's teaching them to weave nets. But if this was a maritime culture that he was coming upon, then they wouldn't need teaching at all. But if these are people who are the survivors of a hammer of the water stepstone situation that now find themselves living on an island who don't know how to adapt to an island or maritime life but then you have mariners coming in and being like oh well we can we can teach you and then that's how they so they learn from that and then that's how we get this whole new culture being created and it's also of course there's the prometheus aspect of it uh the great king stealing stealing fire from the storm gods is prometheus stealing fire from the gods and bring it to humanity right so siegfried silverhair 
that's yeah, that's he's the last Geodarnian instead of the last Valerian. He's the last Geodarnian. He's the last Ironborn with the silver hair trait from the Great Empire of the Dawn. That's him, Siegfried Silverhair. I wrote Siegfried. It's Siegfried. There you go. <laughs> but yes, the Grey King teaching the Ironborn to do maritime stuff is one of those parts of the legend that really jumps out in flashing lights. It's like, who is he teaching? Mm -hmm. People that don't know how to do maritime stuff. It's like, well, we know that the Ironborn are at least mostly first men, if not all first men. They're, they're definitely part first men. The first men are famous for not having any seafaring skill. It's one of the biggest reasons we know that the Ironborn are different is because they are very skilled mariners and the rest of the first men feeble little fishing boats and trading cogs. That's it. Mm -hmm. Cogs are like river craft or not ocean craft. So we're looking for a source of maritime skill and they're, they're, the Ironborn have legends that refer to them, not just this Grey King legend of this one person who taught them how to fish and weave nets and make boats, but also just general songs, sailor songs and legends that the maesters refer to that also talk about a land across the Sunset Sea. Sauron, mm. Salt Tongue, and other drowned priests speak of that. And it's because yeah. some of their ancestors do. There's too many legends to discount. Yeah. But when you ask that question, like, well, why would someone need, why would people living on islands need to be taught maritime things? If they're living on islands, shouldn't they know that already? But then the answer is, well, because they're not supposed to be islands. And then we can take that and then we can apply it to something like the Thousand Islands, which are islands, but the people who live on them are afraid of the water. Well, how can you live on an island and be afraid of water? Well, the answer is because these aren't supposed to be islands. Something broke. We're like the Thousand Islanders are like, we're supposed to be part of the mainland, but something happened, some kind of hammer of the water stepstone situation. And that is why, again, like why it makes sense for the Iron Islands to have experienced the same thing. That's how you end up with people living on islands who don't know how to sail. Yeah, you can see I've got another, I've got, I've, we've got a section coming up here I see called another effing hammer of the waters thing. So there must be something about that here. Um, anyway, we'll get there. Uh, so the other group that we're going to talk about, obviously, are those mariners. And they probably are from the Great Empire of the Dawn or from surrounding areas, okay? We've got some specific ideas, but the point is they would have sailed across the Sunset Sea, going east from Ashai and landing on the west coast of Westeros. And we see that's why we see all their landing places there. Old Town, Starfall, maybe Casterly Rock, all on the west coast. But Tim, you've got some... Let's go ahead and unleash you here. A bit more from the Grey Waste. We've got... Tim has found some more very interesting tantalizing links between the ancient Ironborn and ancient Yi-T. And of course, ancient Yi-T is the most direct ancestor of the Great Empire of the Dawn. So that is where we will find the Great Empire of the Dawn cultural practices persisting the strongest. And Yi-T claims that 11,000 years later, whatever it's been, they still remember and revere the great empire of the dawn claim to be their ancestors and descendants and yi ti is an unbroken culture since the long night so if we find links in ancient yi ti history so and we're given a lot of yitish history by the way like way too much um it's very obviously rife with clues about westeros with the whole parallelism that George does. So go ahead, Tim, and let's work through these points. I will interrupt you as needed, but um, okay. yeah, take it away. Yeah, so yeah, the sheer similarities with First Men, but also Great Empire, yeah, Talma. So I'll just go straight there. Great King rules for a thousand years, which is the same length as the Pearl Emperor, if we accept the legends from Yi-T. And when you look at, per if you take Pearl, and you apply it just as a, not as a gemstone, but just as a color. It's like a very vibrant shade of gray. And this follows along. This is something I've talked about in other streams. When we look at the uh, the dynasties of Yi Ti, 
after the fall of the great after the fall of the empire the great the great empire when Yi-Ti becomes the successor state all of the dynasties the gray the sea green the crimson the yellow the yada all those colors they're all like less vibrant versions of the gemstone emperors that we saw in the great empire like jade and topaz and amethyst and all of that so the point is is like the so the first emperor after the god on earth who would, would be the Pearl Emperor. And what's important here is, so the God on Earth is, if, again, from the legends, is the child of the Lion of the Night and the Maiden Maid of Light. So he is the product of two divine beings, which would make him a divine being. But then his children, sired upon human women, would be hybrids. And then you take that idea, but then Grey King is said to have married a mermaid so that his children could live on land or sea as they as they saw fit, right? Which is, which is an ins, definitely it, it, it's it's an Innsmouth thing. It's the Innsmouth life cycle where you start on land, go into the sea. But the point is, is that these would be the hybrid children. Well, Pearl Emperor would be our first hybrid ruler as the child of divinity and the child of human. He would be a demigod, and that's kind of how we can look at Great King too. But they rule for a thousand years. But so Pearl Emperor is the more shining version of the color gray. They both rule for a thousand years. And I love that discovery. Um, people in the chat are pointing out the gray king with gray hair. Well, it could have started out with silver hair, like Siegfried silver mm. hair. <laughs> it could be just a clue to make us think about that. Yeah. So the gray king, that could just, I mean, the silver king. You can see where that name started. And the name literally is a, just a physical description of him. And then, of course, he was said to sit on carved thrones of Mother of Pearl, whereas the God Emperor and his son, the Pearl Emperor, are known for being carried around in their Pearl Palanquin. And a palanquin is a throne. It's a throne that you carry. I, I joked that it's more throne-like than a throne because you have to carry it. So it's even more like, mm -hmm. you are beneath me, I am exalted which is the point of a throne. So pearl thrones, gray eyes, a thousand year reigns, like it's pretty good, yep. pretty good stuff here. Go ahead. And then even the God on earth, it says after he rules for 10,000 years and then he ascends to the stars to be back with his forebears. So the pearl palanquin oh, is oh. like an ancient way of saying and uh, describing a UFO. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I used the um I used the SpongeBob Pearl Palanquin art. That was the that was the closest thing I found for somebody riding in a Pearl Palanquin was that SpongeBob. But somebody's pointing out that Siegfried, of course, is a dragon slayer from Norse myth. So Grey King slays the sea dragon. So Siegfried's silver hair probably is intended as a parallel figure to Grey King in the way that George uses minor characters and parallelism to give us clues about major characters. So Siegfried, a silver-haired dragon slayer. Grey King, a gray-haired dragon slayer. That's pretty good. Who, who said that? Let me give you a cookie. Forever the sickest gamer. Nice job. No Sage, why are they called the Ironborn? Aren't the Andals supposed to be the ones who brought ironworking? Yeah, so this is one of those things that's over overemphasized. Too much is made of this. When we look at the real world, the development of steel and iron is slow. So first there is very crude iron that you can use for things like horseshoes and nails, but not good weapons. That's called crude iron. The swords that the Starks laid in the crypts were probably crude iron swords and thus ceremonial items, not necessarily Weapons. They could have been crude iron weapons, but the point is, bronze was, bronze ruled the world for a long time. Bronze weapons were the thing. Iron weapons did not replace bronze weapons all of a sudden. Iron weapons had to progress to the point where they were better. And then over time, they cycled in, and the more wealthier people had those weapons. Bronze persisted for a long time. And really, it wasn't until we got to crucible steel which is very highly refined iron. So really what the Andals brought to Westeros is crucible steel. In Westeros, there is some primitive ironworking, both with, again, the iron swords in the Winterfell crypts 
and on the Iron Islands, where they do mine iron ore and are named after iron. So no, the Iron Islands have always had iron. And there's the ancient legend of the ironborn um, attacking the first men with foul black weapons that drank the souls of those that they slew. Now, maybe that's those are meteor weapons like I've talked about, but the most likely explanation is that those were the first iron weapons and nobody had ever seen these black swords. And the, and they're, they're, you know they might have been better than some of the bronze weapons that the first men had, and thus they would take mm-hmm. on a mystique and a legend, and they'd be associated with these reavers who were so terrifying. So Yeah, that's actually one I wanted to ask you about because the whole soul-drinking thing made me think, of, is that an Elric or Mel Nibine thing too? Yeah, I have to think so. And, and uh, Lightbringer drank Nissa Nissa's soul and life and stuff too. So it's clearly something that George is working with. The Valerian steels made with blood magic, one assumes it's absorbed some of life, the life essence from the sacrifice, right? So yeah, I think he's working with that Elric. And it's, there's, it's not just Elric too. I mean, he was the first, but other authors have used that as well. The black weapon that absorbs souls. Um, Anomanda Rake from uh, what's the, what's the giant freaking fantasy series um, by Erickson? You guys that are Erickson fans will know the name of it, but there's the yeah. And then um, Pearl Throne equals Pearl Throne, like a throne, like a moon meet. Oh, that's that's funny. <laughs> the Pearl Throne is a symbol of a moon. Obviously, it's a it's a pearl, and it's round like the pearl and the moon. It's the most obvious moon symbol that. It's ubiquitous throughout human culture. So a pearl throne, that would be a moon meteor. You're totally right. I'm dying. <laughs> and they are called Ironborn uh, because iron is mined on the Iron Islands. That is why. So pearl throne. Okay, so key, uh, carry on. Yes. So Okay, so our first gemstone emperor, again, is the pearl emperor. So that's that's our fancy gray. And then after the Great Empire falls, Yi Ti becomes the successor state. Well, the very first dynasty of Yi Ti are the Gray Emperors. So the less, again, less vibrant pearl, but still, it makes it, it's the fact that the first gemstone is the gray colored gemstone, and then the first color dynasty of Yi Ti also happens to be gray. And then when we look at the Gray Emperors, uh, they have the name Har. Har is the suffix, and all of the names of gray emperors will start with Har. It's you think in like the way uh, Asian names are said, like Jap- Japanese names. Normally, the family name comes first, then th- then the uh, first name. Anyone who's watched a subbed anime knows what I'm talking about. So we get the name. So the family name is Har, but when you take that and you apply it to Ironborn, and you see how many names among the Ironborn have this Har suffix. There's tons of them. Harlaw, Harwin, Harlan, Heron, Harris, Harmit. There's like all these guys with different version of the name Harry. It all has this H-A-R suffix. And then the first of the Grey Emperors is a guy named Harloy. He spends his throne as a saddle for he spent his entire reign at war. The same thing happens with Harwin Hor. He is the first well, not he, he's uh, one of the early whore kings who really begins expanding out from the Iron Islands into the Riverlands. This is when the Riverlands are getting really upset with uh, Eric Durandon, the Storm King, and they look to the Ironborn for help. And then we were like, well, that was a that was stupid. You should never should have went to these people in the first place. But Harwin Hor is the one who leads the Ironborn into the Riverlands. And the line about him, his, his palace was a tent his throne a saddle. So it's like we're, we're seeing these connections. The first gray emperor is constantly expanding, ye, bringing Yi-Ti as a successor state, as a new conqueror. And the same thing happens with Harwin Hor. He's the one who really begins leading the Iron Islands into the Greenlands and conquering. It's like a what, like we see the exact parallel happening here. Yeah, and that's one of those things where like, we know that the the words are George loves naming clues. So all that har stuff is just like, oh God. That's mm-hmm. one of those things where once you see it, it's hard to unsee it. And like, that's how this the, the entire correlation between the Ironborn and the Great Empire of the Dawn is. Like 
it's not as obvious as the Danes who look Valerian and have a sword named Dawn and say that they came from somewhere else. It's like, it's not hard to link them to the Great Empire of the Dawn. But once you start in on this thread with Ironborn and the Great Empire of the Dawn and you're looking for it, then it's like, ah, well, here it is to be found. Clearly. <laughs> so, Mercy Waters says, pirates start every sentence with har. <laughs> <laughs> And I love, shout out to Roy Dutrice's Davos, who's like very piratey. Dutrice loves the pirate Davos voice. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> so then when we're, when we're always doing these gray king color, color analogies, after we get past the gray, usually it always goes then to the next one is the green. We get the green sea, Garth the green. One of the, one of the theories out there is that Garth and gray king may have been brothers and that's where House Good Brother, the Leal older brother, might be them talking about Garth the Green. Well, back in E.T., another dynasty arises. These are the Sea Green Emperors. So they'd be like the less vibrant version of the Jade, but their surname is Jar. So we only get this one-letter difference from Har, but then there's a guy, one of the emperors <laughs> is named Jar Har, and he is the Yeet, he is the emperor god emperor to conquer leng and it's with jar har har leads his people to leng bring brings leng into the fold under the golden empire of yt and it's him who has the subterranean ruins of leng where the god empresses of leng were said to be taking congress with the old ones he has them sealed up first he sends a bunch of got a bunch of his men down there they all they all come the ones that come back are all are like driven to madness so that's when he just orders okay fine we're just gonna steal them up but again it's the fact that the the har the one who has the ironborn name is the one to seal off this very lovecraftian thing it's it's such a great connection and it's and it's an, it's another thing that what love with lovecraft does is that sometimes you have some lovecraft character characters who open and who open the scary thing and unleash it but then you also have other lovecraft characters trying to fix the problem who then seal it away opening so, the jar is that what you're talking yeah. about <laughs> and then jar jar har has to seal it he has to seal it back up i i'm i'm sitting here biting off open laughter because i'm, I'm looking at the ironborn names and going jarris jarlaw <laughs> Jarman Jarlaw. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Pandora's jar—they <laughs> open Pandora's jar. That's like the exact way of saying it. Jack Bond so with a great super it. chat. Have we talked about how the God Emperor went back to his space family? He ascended back to the stars, and the Gray King went back to his sea family at the end of his. It's a very good parallel, but no, we hadn't. So thank you. It's specifically Jesus language. Um, the the God on Earth the only begotten son of the god emperor and line of night, and then ascended to the stars to join his forebears. Yeah, it's, that's very obviously Jesus stuff. And then the great king just has the watery version. The great king is also very Jesus-like. And yeah, he goes, he goes, it walks into the sea to sit at the right hand of the drowned god, which is specifically biblical language about Jesus sitting at the right hand of the father. So, you're totally dead on, Gian J. Joy. You're dead on to point out the idea of this being a parallel between the God Emperor and the Grey King. So nice, well done, well done. Go ahead, Tim. I was also gonna say it's also Cthulhu language because Cthulhu and the Great Old Ones, they all come from the stars, but then after they arrive on Earth, when they're sealed away, Cthulhu specifically is sealed away under the sea. So both of those both of those things apply. Gray King going into the water and per uh God on Earth ascending back to the stars. And I actually have the line. This so I kept this, we're keeping this separate, but I did drag out some lines specifically from Call of Cthulhu. Uh, but to throw them in the notes would have been too long, but I figured I'd keep them just in case they became relevant. But no, I will go ahead. I'm actually gonna go um uh grab Cleo real quick. So go ahead with that. Okay, so this is a line from Call of Cthulhu. They worshipped, so they said, the great old ones 
who lived ages before there were any men who and who came to the young world out of the sky. These old ones were gone now, inside the earth and under the sea, but their dead bodies had told their secrets and dreams to the first men who formed a cult which had never died. This was that cult, and the prisoners said it had always existed and always would exist, hidden in distant wastes and dark places all over the world until the time when the great priest Cthulhu from his dark house in the mighty sea of Ryla under the waters should rise and bring the earth again beneath his sway. Someday he would call when the stars were ready and the secret cult would always be waiting to liberate him. So we apply that, like the first men, the the the, the title first men is right there. Uh, they told their secrets in dreams to the first men. This is like green dreams. Uh, those who are sensitive, Cthulhu and others like him can communicate to people through their dreams. Dream manipulation and dream infiltration is their most common ways of communicating with people. And we see this in A Song of Ice and Fire, because, and not just in uh, Greensight, but also through uh, Rolor, Rolor's magic, when Melisandre is interpreting the flames, and then also through shadow-binding magic, because Quaith uh, basically invades Danny's dreams. When, when, Quaith, uh, when Danny sees Quaith and her mask is made of starlight, that is a dream infiltration where uh, Quaith probably using a glass candle to do it, but the concept is the same of entering someone's dream to get your message across. And then um, you bring into that the idea of this is sealed in a secret city and then there's a cult who's waiting for the arrival when the stars are right. The stars are right, it sounds a lot like red. It's, it's the red comet talk waiting for the red comet to come because we get so many, especially like Euron drops that line when the red comet comes back. So that is a Chekhov's gun that George has set out that George has set up. Me and you seem to be able to believe that the comet's probably going to do something like hit the wall, but it's definitely that that's speculation, but it's definitely going to do something. Somehow the red comet needs to come back and do something. So, um, just going back to that quote, the first time that you showed me that quote, Tim, it raised the hair on the back of my neck or wherever. Like, I hope that I hope that had that effect on you guys in the chat. That bit about the first men. Read that first line again. In, those old ones were gone now inside the earth and under the sea, but their dead bodies had told their secrets in dreams to the first men who formed a cult which had never died. And remember... The very first descriptions of the old gods, Ned's gods were the old ones, the gods, the vanished gods of the children of the forest. I've got a whole thing. Watch the, the Secret Origins of Green Men series. The first one is called the Isle of Lang. George is creating a huge parallel between these old gods, the green seers in the weirwoods, and they are his version of the old ones. They are vanished sleeping gods that talk to men in dreams and psychic connections. It's, it's his version of the old ones. And then that's why he tells us that the old ones are on Lang. And then he shows us these Langy people that look like they've bred with tall children of the forest because the old ones are, they are green men. The green men were the first green seers, the first weirwood entities. And I've actually, Tim, I've started to think that like the green men must be actively psychically connected to the weirwoods in more like a classic dryad or an elf spirit from mythology. Like we've seen that once Bran eats the weirwood paste and bonds with the tree, he can see through the weirwood's eyes even when he's not touching the weirwood. Like he's carried to his chamber and he's drifting off to sleep and he has more weirwood visions. But he only has to eat that weirwood paste because he's a human and not a green man. Green man don't need to eat weirwood paste. The green men are born with symbiotic relationships with the trees. They might be born from the trees. Somebody was suggesting in the chat, the children and the green men might literally be tree people in some ways. Let's not get too lost with that. But the point is the old ones are the green men and the green seers. So this quote from Lovecraft, we're like, oh, the old ones 
taught their ways to the first men in whispers and dreams. That's what happened in the Dawn Age. The Green Seers obviously taught stuff to the first men, whether we're talking about children of the forest, Green Seers, or the spirits in the Weirwood that whisper to those Green Seers that go into the Weirwood net, whatever. So again, that's hair-raising stuff. And you can see the creative way that George took this compelling idea from Lovecraft and translated it into a completely different context. They're not weird space beings with tent, you know, globular tentacle, nine, you know, limbed mm -hmm. bodies and just this weird Lovecraftian vibe. It's a different vibe. It's fantasy elf vibe, but he's taking this idea that was so compelling to him, and that's what yeah. it means. It means that the old, the old ones are the green seers in the story. Go ahead. Yeah, it's like. Now, the Drowned God, for his purpose, he pretty much is sort of a one-for-one -one Cthulhu rip, but the rest of the idea, the old gods of, of, the, of the first men uh, that the Northmen worship, yeah, they're not worshipping tentacled eldritch beings, like you said, but thematically, they're serving the same purpose. And this is why I say, like, I'm... <laughs> I hate this. Is why I hate D and D. Themes are not for book reports. Themes are important to stories, and that is why, like, when we see these parallels, like, yes, they're not always going to be perfect one to one ratios, but when you see the tropes and the themes, and you note that they're serving the same narrative purpose, that's where you make the connection, and that's why these older stories are so important. That's why it's really worth looking at a lot of these older writers that George was influenced by. Okay, so let's take a quick pause for a couple of questions here. Warham, Salt Smoke, if, is Drowned God worship a kind of indirect meteor worship because the meteor went into the sea? That is symbolism. The idea of, of like the moon is a goddess, and so the Drowned God, in a sense, is a reference to the idea of a moon meteor falling into the sea and becoming a Drowned Goddess. I joked in my old essay the Drowned God, Aaron will be surprised to learn it's a Drowned Goddess. And the Sea Stone Chair could be a meteorite-connected object. But I think that the Drowned God mostly refers to the Deep Ones. They are the Drowned Gods. But we're not really going Deep Ones today. Just we'll set that aside for a different day. We are going to go there. Kelly Johnson, did the Great Empire of the Dawn refugees that came to the Iron Islands bring advanced technology, magic, or a fascinating combination of both? to build the structures that have resisted erosion by the sea for thousands of years. Um, the first part, yes, they did bring technology and stuff. However, I think Pike, the evidence is that Pike predates the ancient mariners. And I think the answer to Pike, as well as Moat Kalin, is that it's Deep Ones, Deep One hybrids that built it. And that's why they are different than other first man structures. So the Great Empire of the Dawn, I do not think, is the explanation for Pike. I think. Deep One Thralls are the explanation for Pike. But, again, that's a topic for a different day. Good question, Kelly. One of the main things is that Moat Kalen really tracks to be a squisher temple. It doesn't have Great Empire of the Dawn sign, in my opinion. I think that if the Great Empire of the Dawn had built Pike, then it would be part of the Grey King mythology, but it's not. And the Seastone Chair also is not a part of the Grey King mythology. So I think there's a whole, that stuff all is tied to a different phase, which is essentially, I guess I can say this for now. The first men were here first. The mariners came after, okay? Before the mariners came, the first men in this area were definitely involved with the deep ones. So deep one, first man contact, that's the oldest layer, okay? And we know that, like N Nimble Dick says, oh, They'll tell you the first men killed all the squishers, but don't you believe it? And we also hear about the son of Garth the Green, Owen Oakenshield, having to clear off the Selkies from the Shield Islands to settle them. Garth the Green and his sons, that's mythology that's tied to the first wave of first man expansion. And so we can see that as the first men expanded into Westeros, they ran into Deep Ones, just as they ran into Children of the Forest and Giants who were all here first. So the first men that reached the Iron Islands and the Westerlands and the coastline over here, they're running into deep ones before the mariners ever come. And so to answer your question, they, yeah, that's another reason why I don't think they built Pike. Like the deep ones, as Tim has t informed me, the deep ones 
are associated with building stone monuments, idols, cities underwater, cities just offshore. The hybrids build cities like all there. We should definitely think about weird stone cities and monuments and idols and things and deep one hybrid people. Um, does Danny will will Danny refuse to ironborn ships because she sees thraldom as slavery? No, nah, because the thraldom isn't really up front and center with the ironborn. They're not at home, so that's not going to be something that she runs into. And Victorian is actually anti-slavery; like he's disgusted by Euron's idea about taking slaves. So he's already I think talked about hopping on board with that. So I think that Victorian is going to present a pretty good face and Barristan's gonna be like yeah those ironborn are a good they're formidable you know they're they're bloody pirates but they're formidable so I think Danny will take him as an uneasy ally at first but there's a lot of ways that could go I can't get too lost there did the great empire of the dawn settlers have an extended lifespan like Garth Greenhand is said to have had I think that would only be the magicians or green seers that do but yes the great empire of the dawn like we mentioned thousand year lifespans Grey King, Thousand Years and Seven. Garth Greenhand, who knows, but he had many, many, fathered all the houses in the Reach. During God's Grief, many children. Um, Land the Clever, 312 years that he lived. So yeah, these probably, some of this stuff refers to dynasties that exist for a long time. But within those dynasties, there probably are Greenseer magicians extending their lifespan, at least in some sense telepathically, if not physically. And there's strong parallels between Grey King and Blood Raven, which we've talked about. But that's Greenseer stuff, so let's not get lost there. Now, one of the best things you found, Tim, is this Rock King, Salt King thing and how it mirrors the Lengi God Empress practice of taking two husbands, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, because the idea with the Rock King and the Salt King originally is that one... The Rock King would rule from the would rule from inland. He'd be the one to make laws, dispense justice, and all that. And the Salt King was the one who would rule from sea. He'd be the one making all the decisions where we're gonna sail out to. And anytime like a problem arose while they're out at sea, then the Salt King's the one making the decision. But then this kind of works with the let with the Lengi uh, as a way of trying to keep the P after Lang like regains its independence from yt but there's already so many yt-ish people living on the island the god empress is a way of keeping the peace takes two husbands one of yt descent and one of pure langi descent and so you have two king consorts there one of them the first consort commands the armies while the second commands the fleets so it's like One's in charge of the army, one's in charge of the navy. The idea is that one's ruling from the land and one's ruling from the sea, the same way a salt king and a rock king of old would. And that's really a great parallel, Tim, and a perfect segue into the next section that I have about the salt and the rock kings. Because not only do we see that idea, and we also see Ironborn taking two wives, salt and rock wives. Okay, it's a little sort of inverse of that. The Salt and Rock Kings, Tim, I believe, just like the Lengi setup, is the result of a power-sharing agreement between two cultures that ended up merging on the same island, or sets of islands. So, again, the reason why the God Empress takes two husbands is because there are two different people that she governs. And so taking those two husbands is a good way to bring about cultural unity. It's just like the practice in Westeros of, like, fostering the kids with each other and intermarrying between the royal houses. Same idea. So rock kings and salt kings. Well, aren't we talking about the ironborn as a combination, you guys are going to like this, between ancient mariners and landlubber first men. And so what do we find? The first thing we find in ironborn history everywhere across the Iron Islands is that every island has a king of the land and a king of the sea. So where did this custom come from? Perhaps it dates back to the time when we had mariners and land-based first men blending their culture. And we would have needed a power-sharing agreement that honored both land and sea power. And that's what we find on the Iron Islands. So once that jumped out to me, I was like, oh, 
That's where this comes from. The first men are the rock kings, and the ancient mariners are the salt kings, at least at first. Now over time, obviously, they're intermarrying, and the bloodlines are mingling a bit and stuff. But you can see where the custom would have come from. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.